This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Welcome to the It Was a Thing on TV podcast, episode 20, submission 075. Who wants to be a millionaire wannabes? We're going to cover three shows this episode. We're not going to spend a lot of time in each episode for obvious reasons. We don't want this show going on for two hours. We're going to talk about three shows who are trying to capitalize off of the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire bandwagon in 1999 and 2000. We're going to talk about It's Your Chance of a Lifetime and Winning Lines and 21. And joining me as always are Chico and Greg. Say hi, guys. Hi, guys. There you go. Good. The first show we're going to talk about today is It's Your Chance of a Lifetime. It aired on Fox for five episodes, five big episodes, between June 5th and June 10th of 2000. It's Your Chance of a Lifetime was supposedly a big international hit. And it's coming to America, and it's going to sweep America. And it swept America for all of five episodes. It wasn't a bad show. I don't know about you guys. It wasn't a bad show. It's just, like, nobody watched it, I think. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, just looking at the international status that, that they touted in the opening... Australia had a version which ran... I believe uh, that was the original version. Yeah, and probably the most popular version. Uh, It ran from 1999 to 2000. Uh, It actually had the same top prize as the American version, uh, just in Australian dollars. We'll get to that in a moment. And it ran in Germany. It actually ran for four years in Germany, five years in Hungary, two separate times in Indonesia... 2004 and 2008. Uh, Two years in Italy, uh, 2001 to 2002 in Lebanon. And actually, there's a a junior version in Lebanon in 2002. And it ran in Poland from 2000 to 2002. Versions aired in Norway, France, Israel, and other countries. So it is sort of an international hit, kind of, sort of-ish. It was international enough for... uh... Government work, basically. It is international enough to promote. Hey, okay. it's an international hit. Okay, it's, that, in, that, it's, that, in, it's in Australia and a bunch of other countries. Yeah, that's I mean, inter- well, technically, could an international hit be something that's taking place in Niagara Falls, Canada? It's international. You know, no, nobody may know of it outside of Niagara Falls, but it's international and it's a hit. Yep. Just yeah, yeah. just throwing that out there. So. This was trying to capitalize on Millionaire, as we said at the start of the show. It's it's a, a coattail rider, a knockoff of sorts. It, it, as we said, it aired from June 5th to June 10th, and it was actually supposed to be a weekly series after that first week, but it got the axe. After week yeah. one, it got the axe. Uh, the show was supposed to have aired Monday through Friday, the 5th through the 9th of June, but ABC decided to, to air a special episode of Millionaire opposite it's on June 7th. And so Fox opted not to air an episode that day and delayed 
the remaining episodes one day each. Oh, I wonder if, if ABC's maneuver here actually sort of threw everything off. I love it. So, uh, really, uh, It's Your Chance of a Lifetime was like the last of the first copycats or, or heirs to the throne, if you will, after Millionaire had a success in 1999. And the game really wasn't all that difficult. A, a single player played this game. There were a total of 10 questions. The first question was more or less like a qualifier question, where if you got it right, and it was a really simple question, you got a credit card bill taken care of. And to increase the drama or the effect, not only did the contestant have the credit card bill with them, there was a giant shredder on stage. So what would happen is if the person got the question right, Gordon Elliott, who was the host of the show, would take the credit card bill and stick it in the shredder, and you saw the shredded bill at the bottom because it was like a plexiglass or a glass bottom on the shredder. So after the initial credit card question, nine more questions were played in the game. There were ten categories given, and for each question, one category was chosen, presumably at random. And for the first question in this stack of nine, it was worth $5,000 if right. If wrong, the game's over, but the person still leaves with their credit card bill paid. Then each subsequent question after that, the player could choose to play on if they were right previously and how much of that money they want to risk. And they had to risk at least half. And again, at any time, if you missed it, you lose your wager, game's over, you walk with whatever money that you kept up to that point. Uh, but there were a number of times when people were very gutsy and said, we'll risk all of it. They got the question wrong, game over. You still walk with your credit card being paid. There were some um, there were some second chances available, not unlike Lifelines and Millionaire. Yeah, every one of these shows had their own little lifeline, but they couldn't call it a lifeline for obvious reasons. So the lifelines on this show were called Second Chances, Mike? Oh, no. Oh, boy. Do, do, do you think that one, one of the Second Chances connected you directly to St. Peter and Kyle Martin? Hey, Chico, did, did, you, did you see that one coming, Chico? I absolutely didn't. I am shocked. This yeah. is my... Shocked face. We, we see also, future installment. Yeah, future installment, second chance, not the game show, the sitcom. <sighs> Thank you, Greg. <laughs> there were two uh, lifelines that were known as second chances, and each could only be used once. One of them uh, turned a short answer question into a multiple choice question. They were given three multiple choice answers, and the other one. Uh, allowed the player to discard the current question and replace it with one from the player's favorite category of those in play for that game. If a person reached the final three questions, they were rewarded with a last chance, which allowed that person an extra use of either of the second chances, playing the favorite category or turning an open-ended question into a three-choice, multiple-choice question. It wasn't you know, much of a game, I mean, there, there wasn't much to, to, to look back upon and, 
and say, oh, this is a great game. Uh, there were a couple of contestants, though, that, uh, well, one went on to, let's say, not necessarily bigger fame and fortune, but went on to some other game shows. Uh, that person is named Mickey Mootsy, who may ring a bell. Mickey Mootsy was on Hollywood Showdown about a year later. But also, Mickey Mootsy was a contestant on Card Sharks this past season. Yes, she was. And but- she did very well for herself on Card Sharks. But also, uh, we had a millionaire come out of this. The top prize, as I said earlier, was the same as the Australian version $1,280,000. Plus the credit card being paid. And we had somebody who actually surpassed a million dollars. We had Dr. Timothy Shea. Yep. He, he won $1,042,309. Now, again, like I said, the game, it was a good game. The one thing that really irked me after seeing just a couple of episodes the whole the whole credit card payment thing, that really sort of irked me because some people had a nine thousand dollar credit card, and then some people had a fifteen hundred dollar credit card. But also at the same time, what about people like me? And I'll, I'll I'll openly admit this: I don't have any credit cards. So what do I do if I got on the show? I have no credit cards. I can't just bring my student loan bill or my mortgage bill and say take care of it. Yeah, I don't have a credit card either. So yeah, I will. Well, a rose on both your noses. Well, but but the thing is, uh, where I'm getting at is it sort of limits the, the contestant pool because, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I've never, I haven't had a credit card in 20 years, and yeah, I, I've never had a credit card bill go above like fifteen hundred dollars. So yeah, yeah, does that disqualify me from being on a show? Show because I don't have. A credit card bill? It, it just it, it seems stupid in that regard. But also, like I said, some credit card bills were over nine thousand dollars. There's one that I saw that was like fifteen hundred dollars. That's just like very bad inequity there. Yeah, I, I mean, I sort of get it. It's, it's sort of the same thing they did with debt. Where, okay, we had somebody on debt that has a $7,300 debt, and somebody's got a $6,500 debt, and somebody's got a, an $8,000 debt. Yeah, we know that debts are going to be different, but the thing is, they were all in the same general range within about $1,000 of each other, maybe $1,500. Yeah, but, yeah, they would average the debts to like a certain well, well, for the game itself, yeah. For the, for the game itself, for score purposes, yeah. But the thing is, at uh-huh. the end... When when they played the uh, the final round, that was for your debt or for double your debt. So the thing is, yeah, it could have been played for you know fifteen thousand dollars, thirteen thousand, eighteen thousand dollars. I mean, but here, like I said, you know, the credit card could be ninety five hundred dollars, or it could be thirteen hundred dollars. Not really equitable to say the least. So yeah, yeah, that that was it's your chance of a lifetime. Not not a lot to say about it. Wasn't really that great of a show. Uh, sort of, I think there's a little bit of greed in there. You had Mark Thompson doing the announcing, and I think Mark yep. Thompson announced everything on Fox back in 2000. Yeah, Mark Thompson was pretty much uh, the go-to announcer for Fox in the early 
two thousands. And again, uh, you look at you look at this, and it was just so much. There were just there was just so much millionaire in this, and people just pretty much picked up on the fact that hey, this is who wants to be a millionaire ripoff, and it's not even a good one. More or less, absolutely. If I wanted to watch Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, I'd watch Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And, and gosh, that was aired often enough. Oh, yeah. It was, it was like, what? Was it three, four nights a week back in 2000? Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's what people were watching. They weren't watching that knockoff and, and, uh, and the other two that we're going to talk about. They, they, you know, there's the other two. Well, I shouldn't say the other two were good games. One game I liked. One game... We'll get to in a little bit. And the game we're going to talk about now is Winning Lines. I'm going to admit it. I loved Winning Lines, even though it was deeply... Flipped. It had all the numbers on it. That's what probably what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't just the numbers. The set was... I mean, it was sort of like, in a way, like one versus a hundred, except, you know... It was exactly one versus one hundred, only with... 49 people. Yeah, it's 49% of one versus 100. Absolutely. And Winning Lines was from the same production team as Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And, and talk, stop me if you heard this one, based on a British format. No, wouldn't ever guess that. Well, the original <laughs> British game show, I believe, was a lottery game show. If I'm not it was a lottery oh, yeah. game show. It was a lottery game show, yes. And it was produced by the same people who did that show. Well, them and also Stone Stanley, because, well, Stone Stanley. And this was hosted by the legendary Dick Clark. Yep. Yeah, I mean, th this does not go... Uh, it's not one of his uh, top games uh, in his resume. Obviously, Pyramid is first, and then you've got the Challengers, and you've got probably the Krypton Factor even above that. Winning lines are sort of lost in the shuffle, but yeah. oh, I loved winning lines. Oh, it, it, it like I said, it had its flaws. We'll get into that in a little bit. But as Chico said, there were forty nine players in the game, and each one had a number from one to forty nine uh, in front of their podium, which was essentially their ID through uh, the second round of the game until they got to the end game. Uh, that number was important to them. We'll get to that in a little bit. So there were six questions that were asked, and the answers were all numerical, and whoever among the 49 players answered first moved on to the next round, and then with the 48 people that were left, they did it again, and 47 and 46 and 45 and 44, until they had six people for the second round, and the 43 people who were left over, they were just sent home. Bye-bye. Thanks yeah. for playing. So, I mean, just off the top, you, you had pretty much a one in eight chance of moving on it, just by pure luck. I mean, really just basic statistics and probability says that. But then round two, and this is where I have issues. You basically had to sort of protect your number. And what I mean by that is that two-digit number that you're given between zero, one, and four, nine – Questions were read, and one of the answers was the, a number of the people that were left in play. So if we had, let's say, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 49, 
you knew the answer to the question was either going to be one, two, three, four, five, or forty-nine. And what would happen is the, the question would be read, and if the person who buzzed in had the number that corresponded to the right answer, they would essentially save their their space. If anybody else answered and answered with that person's number, the person with that number would be eliminated. So if the answer was 49 and the person with number two buzzed in and said 49, the person that had number 49 would be eliminated. And you did this until there was one person left. And if nobody buzzed in on a question, Dick Clark then gave the correct answer and the contestant with that number was eliminated. The one person who remained won $2,500, and the other five people each received $1,000. I mean, this is kind of cutthroat, but here's one of the big flaws. Just the way you look at it, if no person defends their number, you're going to go through five questions. Yeah. You've got six people, six numbers in play. One person's number is not going to come up at all. That person is essentially safe. If you think about it, or at least has the best chance of winning, let's say that the best chance of advancing. So yeah, I mean, if, if the, again, if the answers are one, two, three, four, five, and forty-nine, okay, maybe question one, the answer is one. Question two, the answer is two. Question three, the answer is three. Question four, the answer is four. Question five, the answer is five. That person who has forty-nine, if you think about it, the only way they could lose is if they buzz in. And give a wrong answer. <clears throat> True? True. Yes. True. That's a flaw. That's a big flaw. Now, I'm just bringing it down to its core. That is a horrible flaw. If you have the one number that just by chance doesn't get called in a series of five questions, you have a huge advantage. Basically. Yeah. The numbers say so. But then... And this, this might this is, be my, this is maybe the best bonus round of the last 20 plus years. When you think of winning lines, this is what everyone will think of in the, their first thought in their head was, oh my God, that bonus game was amazing. The bonus game like overshadows everything else. The Wonder Wall. Yep. O-M- Gee, I'm sorry. I'm going to say that. OMG, I, I don't care if I sound like a teenager. It was amazing. And, and to think this came from Stone Stanley, the people who brought you running through the fun house and running through the hidden temple. <laughs> so how is the Wonderwall played, you're probably wondering. I'm wondering just that. <laughs> well, you have a triple screen of 49 correct answers and... You have three or 15 seconds to study them. And then you're drilled questions for three minutes, I believe. If you answer 20 of them correctly, giving the number and the answer, you win a million dollars. So simple. Yeah. But here's the thing. You are given uh, three strikes. If you get the question wrong, that's a strike. You get three strikes, you're done. And you lose everything. Uh, you get two. I believe you get two passes, two pit stops where you're where you're allowed to uh, stay the board for another fifteen seconds. Right. 
Uh, and I, we also should add that each of the answers on the board was numbered. So you had a number for each answer, you know, one Poughkeepsie, two St. Louis, three Pope John Paul II, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you yeah. actually did have to answer in that way. You had to say three, Pope John Paul II. Uh, and the money went up with the number of correct answers. This is a long way, so we're, we're going to go through the entire ladder. There's actually, uh, there are 20 different spots on this ladder. So uh, if you got zero or one correct answer, you won $2,500. Two yeah. got you five thousand, three got you seventy five hundred, four got you ten thousand, then fifteen thousand, twenty thousand, twenty five, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand for fifteen correct answers, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, four hundred, five hundred, and then all twenty got you a million. And the premiere episode had somebody oh so close to the million. Oh. Catherine yeah. Rahm. I don't know if you remember her. Catherine Rahm. I do remember her. Yes. And she breezed through this game. And she was down to, she was at the, the 19 correct answers, half a million dollars in her pocket. And the time was counting down. She maybe had 10 seconds left, maybe a little bit longer. And she ultimately bailed, left with $500,000. But there's one big thing. She still had a pit pass to use, a pit stop. She still had a pit stop to use. Uh-huh. So she could have used the pit stop, taken the 15-second timeout, looked for that one answer, won the million. Wow. But yeah, I mean, I, I loved everything about this game, minus the, the flawed second round. But the Wonderwall, like I said, that might be the best bonus round we've had in the, uh, the last 20 years or 20 plus years at this point, it was amazing. And you had Dick Clark ring it all. And, and Dick Clark is a consummate pro. I mean, it was a great host. It was a decent show. But not unlike Monopoly and, uh, and Super Jeopardy that we talked about the previous episode, it was buried on Saturday night. It, it was a Saturday night at 8 o'clock. I, I don't know if it would have done any better in any other time slot, but it's sad that this show lasted only from January 8th of 2000 to February 18th of 2000. Only 10 episodes were uh, were uh, recorded, and actually one of them went unaired, so only nine shows aired. Yeah. But that, that that's winning lines. Now, do you guys have anything to add about winning lines? Well, did you mention the bailouts? You were allowed, uh, as Chico said, uh, with three wrong answers, the game's over. You, you lose everything you had earned up to that point, minus the $2,500. When you got down to uh, two strikes, or if you got to 15 seconds left in the game, you could bail out and leave with the money that you earned, which Catherine Rahm did, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Winning lines, I thought. It was a very good concept for a game show. I think out of all the three other shows that came out of the wake of Millionaire, between Greed, Winning Lines, and 21, I personally, I, I like Greed a lot, but I think as far as, uh, as far as presentation and everything goes, this was the best. 
especially with the bonus scheme. I, I actually would agree with you. Greed was a little too cutthroat for me. Uh, and, and like I said, you had Dick Clark. The game, I just love the concept of the game outside of its flaws. And the Wonder Wall is just absolutely amazing. But uh, you, you talked about 21. I think that's where we're going to go next. 21. Yeah. So 21 was a was a revival of the infamous game show of the same name from back in the late 50s. Yes, and if you were if you recall, there was an attempt by Barry Enright in the 1980s to try to revive 21. And yeah. that was bad. Yes. It was. That was with with Jim Lang wearing no glasses. And with what would turn out to be the numbered jumbler from Break the Bank in 1985. Ugh. That's one way of saying it. Ugh. Well, 21, as you may remember, if you've seen the movie Quiz Show, uh-huh. it, it was maybe the most popular rigged show back in the 50s. Uh, it was the one where uh, Charles Van Doren was on for ages and Herb Stemple was given the answers and he, he didn't want to throw his game. I and mean, we all know the story if you've seen Quiz Show. When, when 21 first aired back in the 50s, there was no rigging going on, if you remember Quiz Show and the whole scandal regarding uh, Quiz Shows. Uh, 21 was dry, boring, bland. So how did yeah, they decide to make it more interesting? Let's rig the shows. Yeah, if you've seen the American Experience from PBS on the Quiz Show channel, they show clips from like one of the early episodes of Twenty One, and everyone's getting wrong answers left and right. It's boring as all get out. So, how do they make the show more exciting? Let's rig it. And oh, that seemed really good until you had Herb Stemple, who was playing the game straight, and. Oh, well, you know, they gave me these answers, and, uh, well, I knew the right answer to this, but they wanted me to throw the game because Charles Van Doren was a national hero, and he had won, you know, well over $100,000 at the time, and, and he, he was a minor celebrity in his own right at the time. Uh, he was on the Today Show. He was on the Today Show, absolutely. That's what I, what I was just going to say. So, you know, I, I can't take down this pretty boy who went to, I believe, Harvard, one of the Ivy League schools. I believe he was a doctorate in some uh, of some sort. So yeah, you, you've got the the hero in Charles Van Doren, who's you know who's being fed everything, and then you've got Herb Stemple, who's like the antithesis, the guy who's really you know he, he did not look good, uh, sort of sort of geeky in a way, and he was playing the game straight. And yeah, then yeah, this is when all the the, the congressional hearings uh, came about for the game show rigging. And when Millionaire had a success, what was NBC's first thought as to how to combat it? Hey, let's revive Twenty One, the boring as heck show when it wasn't rigged from forty five years ago at that point, almost forty five years ago. And let's, you know, throw tons of money at it. And, and the problem is the game was not just boring, but pretty easy. I mean, everything was multiple choice or true-false. 
And I don't know. You, you, you just couldn't fall in love with the contestants. I, I shouldn't say fall in love, but it, it was hard to, to root for somebody, maybe in the way that you know you had Charles Van Doren back in the day. Yeah. So the, the, the game 21 is just I mean, as simple as, as, as the, the game back in the 50s. You had to get 21 points exactly. And you were given a, a category, and you could take any number of points from 1 to 11, and you were given a multiple-choice question. And the more points, obviously, the harder the difficulty. If the question was worth six or less points, you were given a multiple-choice question with three possible answers. If it was worth seven through ten points, you had four choices to pick from. And then for 10-point questions, none of the above was an option. And then questions worth 11 points had two correct answers out of five, and you had to get both answers correct. Uh, incorrect answers didn't take points away from the contestant's score like they did back in the 50s. Uh, and just like uh, in the 50s, after two rounds... Uh, one person could declare to end the game if they thought they were in the lead. And if nobody wanted to take that chance, they continued playing on. Until, again, either somebody said, I want to stop the game, or somebody got 21 points. There were also strikes. If you got an incorrect response, you got a strike, and just like everything in life, three strikes and you're out. Yeah. But there was, but there was another twist. But there was another twist, yes. I was just going to add, add, for 11-point questions, uh, you still got a strike for an incorrect response. You didn't get two strikes, but you still got one even if you got one of the correct answers and the other one was incorrect. But yeah, there was a twist, Brother Chico. Yes, you see, at any point, you can call on a second chance. And it wasn't two shots for the correct for the correct answer no 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 no. they brought in a loved one and you guys talked it out to see if you could suss out the answer and if you get it right you win the points if not you get two strikes yeah double the help but also double the risk yep so that, that that adds some more suspension to the show and then also uh, you can only use that once per game. Right. Yeah. Obviously. You know what I wish? Oh, I'm, you know what I would say? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call on my second chance. I'm going to call on St. Peter to help me. Uh, oh, oh, my boy. gosh. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to keep making more references to the second chance, damn it. If you had a second chance. No. <laughs> That's another episode later this year. Uh, <laughs> so, this game, I, I don't know, even know if they know what they're doing because the price structure changed very shortly into the game. Originally, the first game was worth $100,000. The second game was worth $200,000. The third was worth $300,000. The fourth was worth $400,000. So that would be a million dollars. And then if that person won a fifth game, it would go back to $100,000 and it would just repeat. But then 
maybe in a cost-cutting move? Uh, in, uh, in February of, of 2000, Game 1 was worth only $25,000. Game 2 was worth fifty. Game 3 was worth 100000 Game 4 is worth 250000 Game 5 is worth 500000 Game 6 is worth 750000 And then Game 7 was worth a million dollars. I almost feel like I should have my, my, my pinky finger up to my mouth. One million dollars! Well, it was 2000. It was very timely for the Dr. Evil reference back then. Well, it would have been, yeah. And, and anybody who lost received $1,000 in, in consolation money. Uh, but then... There was a bonus round added. Yes, the perfect 21 bonus round. Yeah. Um, th- th- this and this looks really lame in comparison when you're talking about winning $400,000 in a game. People could win up to $210,000. Uh-huh. There were six true-false questions. The first one was worth $10,000. The second was worth an additional twenty thousand. The third was worth an additional thirty thousand. All the way up to the sixth question, worth an additional sixty thousand dollars, two hundred and ten thousand dollars. Perfect twenty-one. Twenty-one times ten thousand is two hundred and ten thousand. Isn't that lovely? How math works out. Now here's the catch: if you you can stop at any time. So if you wanted to take your thirty thousand or sixty thousand dollars and run, not a problem. But if you played on. And you got the question wrong, you went down to zero. And and really, when you're talking about the big numbers starting at question four, you've got $60,000 in your hand. Do you really want to risk $60,000 to win $40,000 more on a 50-50 coin toss? Not necessarily a coin toss, an educated guess, but still, it's not a wise decision at that point. But also, again, it, when you're throwing out millions and millions of dollars and then your bonus round, oh, you won $30,000. Who cares? That's like butt-wiping money when you've won over a million dollars at that point. Yeah. I would. If I've already won a million dollars, like, why do I need to risk you? If, if I were given $30,000, I'm like, okay, that's cool. Whatever $30,000, I don't need to play this game anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, I would just be like, okay, I'll take the $30,000 and move on because the next game for me could be worth half a million dollars or $750,000. I really don't care about the 30000 I care about the $750,000. So basically the bonus game in 21 is irrelevant. I would say it's so. Just- there to be there. Well, well, I would say for the first after the first win, yeah. I mean, if you win a hundred thousand dollars, you know, padding it with another thirty thousand isn't a bad thing. But the thing is, when you've already won one point five million dollars, who cares about winning another thirty thousand dollars or sixty thousand dollars at that point? I mean, it's obviously it's a good thing, but you know, you're talking about such a small number in comparison to the bigger picture. The one thing that this version had, which I don't think many shows, if any shows, have done since then, is that there was a live band, at least in the early episodes. And that was really a cool touch. It was also a throwback to the original version of 21, which had, I believe, a live orchestra. Yeah, I think everything back in the 50s yeah. pretty much had live music. 
everything back. I think the la- I think the last game should have a live uh live musical backing was Let's Make a Deal in the seventies. Well, and... no, they need that too. No wait. No, oh wait, that well that was, well that's an ex- yeah well that's an exception because well you kind of needed the orchestra. You kind of need the orchestra for name that tune. True, yeah. and, and and how dare we forget future installment? Face the music. <laughs> uh, well, you kind of needed the orchestra for face the music as well. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, it was just uh, it was everything about twenty one was sort of modern day retro from the staging, which was, and and the plants and everything to the. To the orchestra in the rafters, and then you had, uh, of course, you had the TV screens for the scores instead of the uh, egg crates. And, and, and yeah, and you had the isolation booths. So I mean, when, it was a flashback to the fifties. Uh, and, and there were some big winners. Uh, Raheem Oberholzer was the biggest winner under the first payoff structure. He won one million one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Uh, winning four games, and then a name that both me and Chico know pretty well, Dave Legler won under the second payoff structure. He won six games and $1,765,000. And even now, 20 years later, he's still the eighth highest winner from an American TV game show. But there's more, gentlemen. Oh, yes. We we haven't even mentioned who hosted the show. Oh, boy. Oh, do we want yeah. to mention who hosted the show? Yeah, well, yes, we have we to. Should. Yes, we, we do. We have to. It, All it, right. It, it, Here, I'll give you one hint, and we're going to play a clip. Get ready. When it comes to one-year-old Khalees, Jose, you are not. <laughs> That's right, folks. Maury freaking Povich was the host of 21. Not that he necessarily did a bad job. He didn't do a great job. He was sort of robotic. Yep, he was he he, he always said, "Hey, you know what? I am not a game show host. I am a journalist." Mari Povich played this show as the anti-game show host. He was very decent, I have to say. <clears throat> he, he was very he was very he did decent. His- he did, he his, did job his well. He, he was a conduit. He knew what to do, and he did it. And that is to be applauded. He he was acceptable, yes. But gentlemen, there's even more to the story. What? Oh, what? No, no, well, no. Th- this isn't an O. Um, I tried out for twenty one back in nineteen ninety nine. Oh, did you? I did. There uh-huh. were tr- there there were tryouts being done in Chicago and. This was, I believe, either Thanksgiving weekend or the weekend after Thanksgiving of 1999. And I drove to Chicago. It was about a five and a half, six hour drive. And they did a huge audition in one of the downtown hotels. And there had to have been hundreds, if not maybe over a thousand people there. And it, it took some time to obviously get through that many people. And that was with I want to say there had to be at least six, maybe eight contestant coordinators taking two people at a time. It still took like four hours to get through everybody. And the game, it was still in flux at that point. 
Now, when we tried out, all they did was we, we did the usual boilerplate uh, contestant stuff. We gave our uh, personal information, what we do for a living, stuff like that. But then the mock game itself, it was there were no um, no isolation booths, obviously. Uh huh. And you played two questions, only two questions, and they wanted to see how you'd play the two questions. And then they sent you on your merry way after you played the two questions. And I remember in my uh, questions, I got both of them right. Oh, and there were there were no multiple choice uh, answers. It was straightforward, open answer. So I had two questions, got both of mine right. I think I had scored 17 points maybe, and or maybe 16. My opponent either had like 17 or 18. Just, he, he beat me by like one or two points. And that was it. Okay, thank you. Yeah, have a good day. Drive safely. And obviously nothing ever came of that. But they did tell us what the rules were at that point. Now, remind, uh, remember... Remember that this was in Thanksgiving, late November, early December of, of 1999. The show went to air in January of 2000, so a month later. The, orig- the original rules that they gave us was that each point was worth, if I remember correctly, $10,000. So if you won the game, you won $210,000. I don't remember there being a bonus game, so that may have just been tacked on at the end. But the big thing is, just like the original 21, oh no, was it 10000 It might have been something even bigger. It might have been 20000 or 50000 or I'm not even joking, $100,000 maybe? It might have been like $100,000. I'm not even joking. Because I remember them telling us that yeah, if you lose a game, you could literally lose millions. You could lose everything. Because they did go by the old rules in the 50s where if you got a question wrong, you lost points. So if you ended up losing 21 to nothing, you'd lose 21 times whatever that point was worth. So if we're talking like $100,000 a point, and, that, and you earn the uh, $100,000 per point difference... Yeah, you could win two point one million, while your opponent loses two point one million. If and they might only have say one point four million. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, I knew ten thousand sounded too low because they they did mention you know just like you could win or lose uh, a life changing amount of money in one game. That might have made the game more interesting, but then you're just like throwing around absolutely insanely humongous numbers. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand if, you know, the difference in a game is, say, four points, 400,000. But if you get to a situation where, you know, one person wins 21 nothing, 21 nothing, that's $4.2 million. I'm sure yeah. NBC, I NBC's not going to like that. No. Yeah, I, I, well, if this was the Jeff Zucker era, I'm sure they would have just gone ahead and said, oh, F it. So, yeah, th- that was the way the game was, and that really was intriguing when they told us this. It's like $100,000 per point differential. I mean, that's an amazing amount of money. But then they changed it to this, and this just... It seems, so, all the- it, it seems so boilerplate. I mean, 
every if you look at Millionaire, Millionaire had this money ladder, and what was the price structure in twenty one other uh, than just a little money ladder, a money yeah. ladder that repeats. It just so sucked I, I, all the life out of it, and the thing of it is, it was still a top twenty show back when it was airing. Yeah, that's so, Yeah. I mean, Greed had good ratings, too. And, I mean, even for, I want to say, 10 to 15 years after it, no show in that Friday 9 o'clock time slot ever did as well as Greed did. I don't think until Fringe was a hit on Friday nights, they had a show that was as big as Greed. Right. So, yeah, I mean, this could have been, like, amazingly huge money amounts flying everywhere. Uh, you know, hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars changing hands in, in the course of one game, which I think would be a real draw. But then they, they went this other route, and it's like, Fred Silverman, you screwed up again. Yeah. yeah. Hey, well, well, why not? Fred Silverman screwed up in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. He screwed up in the 2000s as well. What decade didn't Fred Silverman screw up in? 2010s. Uh, he probably found a way to screw up something last decade. Well, he couldn't yeah. have screwed up anything in the 2020s. We're only four days into it. Yay, Don't Fred worry. Silverman, you haven't screwed up anything in the 2020s yet. Don't worry, Fred Silverman. I'm sure Jeff Zucker is going to take your title as the biggest screw-up on television in decades soon enough. And yet, Jeff Zucker still has a job. So yeah, it's amazing that, you know, what, what could have happened and what really would have probably been a better game. It would have been a better game because there would have been a sort of, there was sort of, there would have been a risk assessment element and it would have been a meta game. I don't know why they changed format uh, aside from, hey, let's throw money at the problem and see if it, see if we can knock this millionaire gauntlet out. And again, the, the change was done weeks before the first taping weeks i mean if, if you look at it the 2000 version premiered january 9th of 2000 so we're talking literally just over a month after my audition and i'm sure and the show wasn't live uh, it may have been d- delayed by a day or two but uh, it wasn't like it, it recorded like the day after the chicago auditions were done but yeah, it's just I, the the possibilities are endless, and and we ended up with this shrug of the shoulders. That, that, that's just my reaction. I mean, it it could have been really really well done, maybe boring again. Well, I I understand the boring part. I mean, if we're using the same rules as the the fifties before it was rigged, yeah, that would be boring. But also at the same time, you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, at risk every time you play the game, or millions of dollars at risk potentially. They're so. using that as it's like it's like this is basically the million dollar thing was basically what the jiggle factor was in the seventies. It's like let's throw money at the problem and see if we can solve it. But here's the thing. More money does not equal good gameplay. More money is not a substitute for good gameplay. Jiggle is not a suitable substitute for 
plot development. Well, and also remember that at that time in 2000, every network was trying to outdo the other one by having the next big winner. So you had Millionaire. Millionaire gave its first million away at John Carpenter. Then, you know, the other network, they had to give more away. We talked about Raheem Overholzer. He won 1.1 million, 1.12 million. We had Dave Legler win 1.765 million. And then the stakes grew and grew and grew. And then what happened with Millionaire? You had Kevin Olmsted winning 2.1 some million dollars. And you had Ed Tutant winning one point, whatever he won, $1.7 million. It was always a constant competition to outdo the other networks and claim they had the biggest money winner of all time. Yeah. And I mean, oh, it even continued yeah. with NBC until until Million Second Quiz. Is that a submission? If not, that should you be. Know, it, oh, it, oh should. it should be. And besides, and, and the thing of it is, if you think it, if you think it ended with these shows... No. No, it did not. Because what happened to the summer of 2000? Survivor, Big Brother. And then the next year you had The Amazing Race. And Fear Factor and The Weakest Link. Yeah, but uh, those shows weren't trying to outdo the other networks saying, hey, we gave away $2.5 million or $2.8 million or $3 million. They just had a million dollars as the main prize for Amazing Race and Survivor and half a million for Big Brother. And, I mean, even if you look at Weakest Link, I don't think anybody ever won more than about $150,000 on Weakest Link. Right. And and Fear Factor was $50,000. So it, it wasn't necessarily trying to get a big money winner out of those. It was more or less like the expansion of the entire reality-slash-quasi-game show genre. And those games were not necessarily richer, but they were... More, they were better done, better executed, had better developments. Like I said, Jiggle is not a substitute for plot development. And, and, we, we, and we remember those games more than we did that the three that we mentioned on this episode. And, and really, you have a great point there. When talking about Survivor, the whole plotting, the trying to survive on an island for 42 days, Amazing Race was... Learning so much about the different cultures and, and just the different areas. I mean, they went to some amazing parts of the world. Each of them had their own different draw in, in different ways. But by no means were they trying to ever say, hey, we're the game or the TV show that gave away $8.7 million to Joe Schmo. Uh, spoilers. Another submission. <laughs> Joe Schmo. <laughs> what is going on? What is going on? Well, that's our look at three of the sort of wannabes to the millionaire throne from 2000. Yep, each one had each one had their own strengths. Each one had a boatload of weaknesses, but ultimately they could have been they could have been really good, but ultimately they were just a thing on TV. They were just things on TV, absolutely. Well, as always, uh, we're at www.itwasathingontv.com. And Greg has some news for us about something that we were added to just within the last couple of days. Greg, please tell the listeners uh, what happened. We are now officially 
syndicated on the Place to Be Nation pop feed. Now, for those of you who don't know about Place to Be Nation, it's on uh, the website placetobenation.com. And it's basically a hub for uh, your pop culture world. It's, in fact, the slogan is the only place to be in your pop culture world. And they have a lot of articles about stuff like wrestling, stuff like comics, stuff like television. And they have a bunch of podcasts. They have a wrestling uh, feed podcast. In fact, Mike, they have a they have a wrestling-themed game show. And do you want to know what the title of the wrestling-themed game show is? What is it? Body Pressure Luck. Oh, uh... oh brother. Oh, brother. I'm going to answer some tough questions, brother. I'm going to avoid the whammies. But we're also on the we're going to be on the Place to Be Nation pop feed. So right now, the first episode as we're recording this, the uh, the, the, the much famous, Mike, the preview episode. Is the, the, right the pilot. Now. The pilot. So match game Hollywood Squares Hour, which is episode one, should be coming up. And so I talked to the guy who runs the feed, uh, Todd. Very nice guy, by the way. He's going to try to get all the episodes up and try to slowly but surely get get us up to date, which might take a while since we're currently on episode twenty. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna find a way to help get us up to date quickly, so you can find Place to Be Nation at the following. You can visit them at their website at place t o b e nation dot com on Twitter at at place the number two be nation or on facebook at facebook.com slash place t-o-b-e nation if that was any more complicated peter tamarkin would be hosting a pilot for it <laughs> and, the, and the lady from the star wars holiday special would be walking Wait, around the board we play Lumpy, yes. That's called a callback, kids. So yeah, we're very proud to be part of the Place to Be Nation network. Uh, please visit them, especially if you're into wrestling. They've got a lot of wrestling podcasts. Uh, as always, you know, please like and subscribe us, rate and review us, do all that good stuff, please, to help us. We thank you in advance for any assistance and support you, you provide us by doing that. So next week, we, we sort of veer out into the unusual. Uh, not doing uh, game shows next week. Sorry to disappoint those of you who like the game show episodes. Uh, we're getting into something which is near and dear to, to Greg and Chico's hearts. It is. And also we're going to get to something that I think might be near and dear to my heart. <laughs> so there's a little bit for oh, each of the three so of us. Oh. Hold up, oh, one yeah. segment that's near and dear to me and Chico's heart was going to have something for you in it, Mike. Because there's uh -oh. someone involved that's near and dear to your heart that's in it. Oh, really? Okay, that's news to me. Oh, we'll, yeah. we'll take a look at that next week, then. So, something for everybody next week. Uh, first is, well, I'm not going to tell you what it is first, but I will say uh, the budget was heavily cut on this one. And what I, I mean heavily, heh. The Lee. Snicker, snicker. I'll give you a hint. It's somewhere around the range of $2. <laughs>
Give or take Give two or take. cents. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we're talking about and, a two dollar and two cent show. <laughs> uh, and the second one is something that is again we put this on this on this particular week because of what happened this week in that something uh, well a favorite of if not Mike's and certainly Greg and mine's returned and by the way Greg that wham moment on at the end of Wednesday's episode. Oh yeah, what an what an amazing twist! What an amazing twist! What an amazing twist indeed! Of course, we won't be talking about that. We'll be talking about something else. So, be on the lookout for that. Good stuff. You, you know, it's like Greg and, and Chico are like Furbies talking their own little language right now. I have no idea what they're talking about. How's that yeah, different from any other day? <laughs> I don't understand what you guys are talking about now. <laughs> so next week, we have two more great episodes coming your way. Until then, for Chico and for Greg, I'm Mike. Thank you, as always, for listening. Bye-bye. And don't eat pears. <laughs> Winning lines. <laughs> hold up, hold up. Oh, no. It's your chance of a lifetime. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh, did we really do that?